Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Jonah this morning. It's on page 1127, if you have this particular version of Scripture. We're going to talk about taking the gospel to a lost world. A few years ago, our church went on a mission trip to Crystal City, Texas. It's a church I pastored years ago, my first pastor. And we were headed that way with a van full of teenagers. And as we got across somewhere out past Orange Grove, out in the middle of nowhere, and it's like that, isn't it, out there if you've ever been there, in the brush country, one of our teenagers, who I think was from Mississippi, said, now tell me what we're doing again, why we're going all the way out here. We said, we're going to do a vacation Bible school with some children that live there in the community. And she thought for a minute, she said, well, why don't they just come to us? We laughed about that for a minute, but then I realized that really is how a lot of people think. There are people out there who need Christ. Why don't they just come to us? I mean, the doors are open. We welcome them. Here we are. My uh, evangelism professor, Dr. Roy Fish, used to say that the Great Commission is not come in here, it's go and tell. So we're going to talk about that today as we prepare for the month of December. Uh, traditionally, the month of December is our mission month where we pray for international missions. At the, at the Christmas time, we give the Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. And I want us to prepare. Next week, there'll be prayer guides and envelopes. The month of December focused on missions. So I thought today we would look at a reluctant missionary and challenge ourselves to be more than Jonah. Verse 1 in Jonah. Did you all find Jonah by now? I gave you plenty of time. Verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh, and preach against it, because their wickedness has confronted me. However, Jonah got up to flee to Tarshish from the, presence of, from, from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. When the Lord, then the Lord hurled a violent wind on the sea, and such a violent storm arose on the sea that the ship threatened to break apart. The sailors were afraid. And I'll just make a note here, it's got to be a pretty rough storm for sailors to be afraid. And they each cried out to his God, and they threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel, had stretched out, and fallen into a deep sleep. Paraphrase, there's a storm, and Jonah's taking a nap. The captain approached him and said, what are you doing asleep? Get up, call to your God. Maybe this God will answer us, and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble we're in. So they cast lots, and the lot singled out Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us who is to blame for this trouble we're in. What is your business, and where are you from? What is your country, and what people are you from? Verse 9, He answered them, I'm a Hebrew. I worship Yahweh, the God of the heavens, who made the sea and the dry land. (laughs) Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this you've done? The men knew he was fleeing from the Lord's presence because he had told them. So they said to him, what should we do 
to you to calm this sea that's against us. For the sea was getting worse and worse. Verse 12, he answered them, pick me up, throw me into the sea so it may quiet down for you. For I know that I'm to blame for this violent storm that is against us, against you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they couldn't because the sea was raging against them more and more. So they called out to the Lord. These pagan sailors call out to the Lord now. They called out to the Lord, please, Yahweh, don't let us perish because of this man's life and don't charge us with innocent blood. For you, Yahweh, have done just as you pleased. Then they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea stopped its raging. The men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now the Lord had appointed a huge fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the fish three days and three nights. Usually the story's about that great fish, but I want us to look at Jonah and his response to God's call to be a missionary to the people who needed him. Four things that we're going to need to to grasp this morning about becoming this missionary and taking the gospel to the lost world. Number one, we need to forsake our own agenda. Number one, to take the gospel to a lost world, forsake your own agenda. Set it aside. Set it aside. Here's what Jonah did. We don't want to do like Jonah did, but here's what he did. He's a negative example for us. First of all, Jonah was preoccupied with his own agenda. Preoccupied with his own agenda. Look at verse 3. After God calls him, however, what's a big however, isn't it? However, Jonah got up to flee. God says, Jonah, you go this way. And Jonah gets up and he runs that way. The opposite of what God wanted him to do because he's preoccupied with his own agenda. When God calls him, he's not ready to do what God says because he's got his own plans for his own life. Preoccupied with what he wanted to do. Have you ever been there? When God seems to stir and call and and speak to your heart and you're so focused on you and your stuff, tell you what, just look at Facebook. Facebook is all about me, my food, my car. My stuff, my friends. It's all about me, me, me. I read recently that in Los Angeles, in that area, and I don't know why it just happened there, Facebook went down, and numerous people called 911 to say, we've got an emergency. Facebook has gone down. What would cause you to call 911? What would cause you to say, my world's being rattled and shaken, and, and, and I need to do something about it? I had a friend in high school uh, who had just gotten his driver's license. I was out in front of my house one day doing some stuff. I think I was working in the garage. And I heard this loud crash. And I looked across the street, and there's my buddy in his brother's car had just smashed head-on into a parked car. And so I ran out there. His name was Mickey. And see if everything was all right. And he was okay. And, and we asked Mickey, what were you thinking? And he was reaching to get some french fries in the seat. He was preoccupied with his dinner. Did you ever do that? Got to eat the fries on your way home? preoccupied with the food and he crashes head on into a car some of us are preoccupied with our own stuff that we miss what God has for us and that's where Jonah was secondly Jonah was oblivious to the promptings of God he was oblivious I looked up several other words to use but I like that word oblivious he was clueless he was unaware he was ignorant to the promptings of God look at verse 5 The Bible says the sailors were afraid. Each cried out to his God. They threw the ship's cargo into the sea to lighten the load. Meanwhile, now this is a storm that's so bad that the sailors are afraid. 
And Jonah's already told them that he's running from God, so he ought to be able to connect the dots. But meanwhile, Jonah had gone down to the lowest part of the vessel, stretched out, and fallen into a deep sleep, oblivious to what God is doing. That the captain and the others have to wake him out of his sleep. He is saying, I know there's a storm, but I really don't care. Oblivious. That this is God prompting him. Several years ago when our church still had Sunday night worship services, we were still meeting in the gym. We had, our men had gone on a retreat in Dallas, and we'd driven all night, got back Saturday night. It just uh, I was tired. I got a cold. I was sick, not feeling good. Um, took some cold medicine, preached through Sunday morning, and took some cold medicine, and just went to lay down for the afternoon, and ate lunch, went to lay down. Kelly went to church to do choir practice, and then uh, I'm in this deep sleep, and I hear, Kevin, Kevin, you know how it is when you're asleep? Kind of, I, can't, I think it's my wife. And then I hear her say, are you not going to church? So I'm thinking, okay, and then I realize it's dark. And she says, church has already started, and you're not there. Folks, one of my nightmares as a pastor was that I would sleep through a church service. Some of you don't have a problem with that, I know, but I I did. (laughs) And so I'm thinking, okay, I I wake up, I'm rubbing the sleep out of my eyes, I realize I'm going to get real dressed. It's about 15 minutes after the service started. So I'm thinking, okay, I can get there. I can just kind of walk in the back, and they're still singing. So they're singing hymns and all that and choruses, and I'll just slip in the back. And when it's my time to get up there, I'll just walk up on stage, and they won't even know I wasn't there yet. So I walk in the back door, and the guy that's on the stage says, there's the pastor right now. And I just hung my head in shame. I'd slept through church. Let's don't sleep through what God's trying to do in our life. Let's don't be oblivious to his promptings. You know, some people come to me sometimes as a pastor, and they have all these struggles and these challenges, and there's crises in their life, and they can't figure out why things are going wrong, and then you start asking them how their walk is. And there's totally no connection with the crisis in their life when things are drama in their life and the fact that they're disobedient to God's will in their life. There should be a connection. Don't be oblivious to that. The third thing Jonah was is he was an obstacle. Jonah was the greatest obstacle to the plan of God. Jonah became the greatest obstacle to God's plan. Don't miss this. Look at verse 6. The captain approached him and said, what are, you do- what, what are you doing sound asleep? Get up. Call to your God. Maybe this God will consider us and we won't perish. Come on, the sailors said to each other. Let's, let's cast lots. Then we'll know who is to blame for this trouble. So they cast lots and they singled out Jonah. In other words, God shines the spotlight on Jonah and says, Jonah is the reason this storm is here because Jonah is a part of my plan to take the gospel, to take the good news of God's, at that time, of God's deliverance and and salvation through repentance to the people of Nineveh. And Jonah is the instrument, the tool that God wants to use, and Jonah is on his his own plan. And he becomes an obstacle to what God wants to do. Do you know that you can be in ministry, you can be in in the the fellowship, the community of God's people, and still miss the plan and purpose of God for your life because you've got your own agenda? And you may may excuse the calling of God and as God's prompting you because you're doing a lot of good stuff for the Lord, but you miss what God really has for you. You become an obstacle to what he wants to do. What are you doing sound asleep? You're the one I want to use. What are you doing indifferent to my plan and purpose? You're the one I want to use. 
What are you doing ignoring my voice? You're the one I want to use. Dave Vernon McGee used to tell a story about an evangelist, Gypsy Smith. A woman came to him at the end of a, a worship service, and, and she said, God's called me to be a missionary. And Smith said, that's wonderful. Do you, are you married? She said, yes. He said, wonderful. Do you have children? She said, yes. He said, wonderful. Congratulations. God's called you into ministry, and he's already given you his congregation. See, this mother thought, I want to do something big and grand and great out there. But God said, I've called you to be this mom and to be this housewife. That's your ministry. Don't miss it. Don't be the obstacle. A lot of folks will do that. They want to go do church work and then neglect their family. Don't be an obstacle to what God wants to do. If God calls you, respond and obey. Forsake your own agenda. Andy led us a little while ago in in a prayer that, that our answer needs to be yes, whatever the question is. Forsake your own agenda. Number two, face the facts. Face the facts. Now we're going to look at Jonah to illustrate this, but I want to look at the truth in Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 13. We usually use verse 13 to encourage people that when they, when they pray to receive Christ, there's a, there's a promise in Scripture. We led a little girl last week to this last week to to this verse to remind her that she called on the Lord and she was saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him they have not believed in? And how can they believe without hearing about him? And how can they hear without a preacher or a proclaimer or somebody to share? And, And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who announce the gospel of good things. Now, that's the truth, and I want us to look at how Jonah's past, this passage of Scripture illustrates the truth. First of all, people are lost and destined for hell. The first fact that I've got to face, that Jonah had to face, is that people are lost and destined for hell. They're lost. That means to not have a relationship with God. That means to be at, at enmity, as the Bible says, at, at odds with God. And people need a Savior. Now, back in the book of Jonah... God says in verse 2, get up and go to the great city of Jonah of Nineveh and preach against it because their wickedness has confronted me. Can I paraphrase for you? Jonah, go to Nineveh and tell them they're lost. By the way, Jonah, they're acting like lost people. They're wicked. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria. Nahum wrote about it about 100 years uh, uh, around Jonah's, the writing of the book of Jonah, talked about the, the judgment of God on them because of their wickedness. Here's what historians say about the Assyrians, which Nineveh was the capital. They they said that they never fought in wars with gentlemen's rules. They they grew rich on the sufferings of others. The largest empire at that time in the world said that they found a new military weapon that hadn't been used up to that time, and that weapon was terror. When you read a historical list of the kings of Assyria, for generations, you read about the wickedest of the wicked who have ever reigned and ruled a nation, ever, ever. It's incredible. They scared their enemies. They've engraved in stone lots of plaques that share share the atrocities that those kings of Assyria, the Ninevites, had um, done to people. They bragged about mutilating their prisoners. They bragged about resettling whole populations. They bragged about the, the butchery where they had their victims mutilated. The list says how prisoners were skinned alive, stabbed, beheaded, impaled on poles. 
their hands cut off, their feet cut off, their tongues chopped off, their eyes pulled out. That's the people that God says to Jonah, go tell them, don't miss this, God loves you. We have this this mindset that we're going to take the gospel to people that we want to take the gospel to. I'm sure Jonah probably somewhere in there in his prayer life talked to God about God. Don't you know how bad they are? And I'm sure God says, yes, that's why I've called you, Jonah. People are lost and destined for hell. Over half the world's population has never heard that Jesus is the answer. That he is their salvation. Look with me at Romans chapter 1. We looked at this recently, but I want to go back to it. My weeks are running together. I think it was last week. I have slept since then. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. Paul writing about the lostness of the world. He says, For the God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. We looked at that recently, but I wanted to go back to that and say that there is evidence in creation that there is a God, and people are going to be held accountable for that. And since they're going to be held accountable accountable for that, we have to go and tell them that Jesus is the answer. Some people say, well, what about, what about the people who've never had a chance to hear? John, uh, Paul says in Romans, they're still going to be accountable to God. Today, the Muslim world is growing. I read recently, Christianity Today had a, an article from a Muslim, about a Muslim man, an interview with this man who had become a follower of Christ. This is what this man said. One night, the only food my wife and I had was a small portion of macaroni. My wife prepared it nicely. Then one of her friends knocked on the door, and I told myself the macaroni is not sufficient for even the two of us, so how will it be enough for the three of us? But because we have no other custom, we opened the door, and she came in to eat with us. While we were eating, the macaroni started to multiply. It became full in the bowl. I suspected that something was wrong with my eyes, so I started rubbing them. I thought maybe my wife hid some macaroni under the small table, so I checked, but there was nothing. My wife and I looked at each other, but because the guest was there, we said nothing. Afterward, I lay on my bed, and as I slept, Esau, Esau, which Jesus in in the Arabic, Esau came to me and asked, do you know who multiplied the macaroni? I said, I don't know. He said, I am Esau el Masa, Jesus the Messiah. If you follow me, not only will the macaroni be multiplied, but your life will be multiplied. And that Muslim man, without, a, without any uh, intervention there, heard the gospel. So let me tell you, that illustrates to me how passionate God is about getting the truth to people. In that situation, God had to intervene, but his command and his mandate to us is, we're to take the gospel to the lost. Because the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They're lost and destined for hell. Secondly, they cannot hear unless we go. They cannot hear unless we go. Verse 2 says, get up and go. Get up and go. 
Paul says, how can they hear unless someone is sent? The Great Commission, go and make disciples. It's, it's the, the go there is implied. You're going to be going. As you go, we want you to make disciples. When God speaks, when God calls, we need to heed his call to go. Again, we've talked about this repeatedly. It may be to go to a friend or a neighbor, a coworker, a fellow student, to go across the world. But when God speaks, the command to go, we're to go. Luis Palau, an evangelist uh, in the, he lives in the Pacific Northwest, but he's a Latin American evangelist. He's the Billy Graham of Latin America. He shares the story about being a chapel there at Multnomah School of the Bible. Major Ian Thomas was there in a chapel service, and he's speaking about Moses and the call of Moses in the wilderness and how God took Moses right where he was and confronted him with a burning bush that, that Ian Thomas called just a, it was just a pile of uh, ugly sticks. And, and here's, here's Palau's sharing of the story. He said, God was telling Moses, I don't need a pretty bush or an educated bush or an eloquent bush. Any old bush will do as long as I'm in the bush. If I'm going to use you, it won't be to do something for me, but doing something through you. I was that kind of bush, Palau writes. Unless a bunch of dried up, I was just a useless bunch of dried up sticks. I could do nothing for God. All of my reading and studying and modeling myself after others was worthless unless God was in the bush. Only he could make something happen. He says, I ran back to my room and in tears I prayed in my native Spanish. My struggle was finally over. I would let God be God and I would be dependent on him. The people can't hear unless we go, unless we respond like Palau did. And then thirdly, they cannot hear unless we share. Verse 2, get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Proclaim the truth. Thomas Carlyle said, God is waiting for a host of Jonas to come around to his way of loving. God's waiting for us to have a heart and a passion for lost people like God does. So that God could even say in us and through us, I want to use you to take the gospel to those who've never heard. I read about a pastor from the 1960s named Philip Johnson. He was called to be a pastor in the northern coast of Newfoundland, Canada. And there he had a circuit riding ministry in Newfoundland. And one of his first assignments was to to go to a little remote village and preach the gospel. So he, he traveled 40 miles by snowmobile to get to this little church. And he gets ready to prepare, and he's there, and one person shows up, a fisherman who traveled 20 miles to come to church. So he's getting ready for the service, and he thinks, you know, I think we'll just say a prayer and go home. And then he thought, no, I've traveled 40, he's traveled 20, we got 60 miles coming here and 60 miles cumulative going back. He said, I'm just going to do it all. So he says, I gave him everything. We did the prayers, and we did the hymns, and we did the offering, and we did the closing prayer, we did the benediction, we did the responsive reading, preached the sermon, did it all, and the whole time he was preaching, Johnson said that fisherman just had his head down, and he's thinking, what a waste. So he's getting ready to go home, he wraps up the service, says amen, and he's standing there at the door talking to this fisherman, and, and I, I'm going to read what the fisherman said. Johnson records these words. The fisherman said this, Reverend, I've been thinking about becoming a Christian for about 30-odd years, and today's the day. And he says, I'm so glad I shared. See, it's not enough to go. They need to hear the truth. Forsake your own agenda. Face the facts. Number three, follow God's plan. 
follow God's plan. Get up and go to the city of Nineveh, verse 2. Hold that place there and look at Isaiah chapter 6 with me. Kind of have to backtrack toward the Psalms. Isaiah chapter 6. Many of you know this passage. This passage is being used as the theme of our uh, international mission offering this next month, but I just want to highlight part of it. Isaiah is broken. He goes to the temple and there's a vision of God in all his glory. We know the story. The, the angels are there singing, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Just skip down to me at verse 8. As Isaiah sees a vision of the glory of God there in the temple, he says, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Who should I send? And who will go for us? The people are lost. They're, the people are in need of a word. Who shall I send and who will go? And I said, Here am I. Send me. God's plan is to be followed. Isaiah said, I'll go. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Jonah said, I don't think so. Remember what Moses said? He said, here I am, send Aaron. The the answer should be, Lord, here I am, send me. It's an issue of obedience. I was reading about Roger Staubach this week, the uh, quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys back when I was a kid, when Tom Landry was the coach, and and they were just, I idolized that team. Staubach was one of those quarterbacks who got in the huddle and Landry sent the plays in. Did you know that? Staubach did not get to call the plays. He's the quarterback in the NFL of one of the best teams in the NFL, he doesn't get to call the plays. And Staubach said, I struggled with that for a while, that these other guys get to call their plays. And this is what Staubach said. He said, later, I faced up to the issue that it was an issue of obedience. Once I learned to obey, there was harmony, fulfillment, and victory. Here's what Staubach said. Once I learned he's the coach and I'm the quarterback, I just need to obey the coach, there was victory and fulfillment. Can I say this? We need to let God call the plays. Some of you think you've got a better idea for your life, for your family, for your career, for your whatever. You've got a better idea. Let God call the plays. Follow his plan and his purpose. That's the way it's going to work out. And if you do, we'll get to number four. You will find fulfillment in being used to bring people to Christ. Find fulfillment in being used to bring people to Christ. Jump ahead with me to Jonah chapter 3 and we'll be done. By the way, people that say the God of the Old Testament is a God of wrath and the God of the New Testament is a God of grace, they don't read passages like this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. You know what that is? That's grace. Noah, you, uh, Jonah, you messed up. I'm going to give you another chance. That's grace. Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I will tell you. So Jonah got up and went. He should have done that in chapter 1. So Jonah got up and went to Nineveh according to the Lord's command. Nineveh was an extremely large city, a three-day walk across the city. Jonah set out the first day of his walk in the city and proclaimed, in 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished. That's grace. That's grace. Giving them time to repent. The men of Nineveh believed in God. They proclaimed a a fast and dressed in sackcloth, a a sign of mourning for sin, from the greatest of them to the least. When the word reached the king of Nineveh, he got up from his throne, took off his royal robe, put on sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Jonah preached. 
The people responded. The men, look at verse 5. The men of God, the, the men of Nineveh believed in God. That's what God wants to do. He wants to use you. He has a plan for you, for you to be his vessel, for you to be his instrument. And it may not be a big deal, but God wants to use you wherever he wants to use you. In the Special Olympics, I was reading about Michigan. About 3,000 people show up for the Michigan Special Olympics, and they have designated encouragers. And their job is to, to line the track, and it's like a regular a track meet, except it's with people with special needs. And they're to line the track and encourage the runners and the, 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 the competitors. And a group of those encouragers are at the end of the race, and they're designated huggers. Their job is to hug the people who finish the race to show them that they're loved and encouraged. Now, that may sound like a simple thing to you, but it makes a difference in those people's lives. Don't discount what God is asking you to do. It'll make a difference in people's lives. This next month, we will be praying for the month of December about giving to our Lottie Moon Christmas offering for international missions. For the first time in the history of our international mission board, we don't have enough money being given by the people to send the missionaries that are being called. We're even having to bring missionaries home because the budget is so low, because God's people are not giving like they should. I'm challenging you to pray and give sacrificially this year. This December, will you pray about giving? Will you pray about the need for lo of lost people in the world? And maybe will you need to be praying about, God, could you use me? Many people in this room have been on short-term mission trips, some long-term mission trips. Some members of our congregation are overseas right now because they've said yes to God. John Keith Falconer, a Scottish missionary in the 1800s, said this, I have but one candle of life to burn. I would rather burn it out in a land filled with darkness than a land flooded with light. Listen, folks, it's great to have the light right here. It's great to celebrate, but there is darkness in this world that needs to be penetrated. Ron Allen, in his book, Praise a Matter of Life and Breath, tells about a veteran medical missionary who went into a community there in Africa. I think it was Africa. I'm sorry, it was in India. Uh, went to a community in India where the people were born into this area with a progressively uh, failing eyesight. So people would be born with sight, and as they grew older, their eyesight diminished and they became blind. And this medical missionary to India discovered a way to halt that some kind of treatment to their eyes where he stopped this progressive blindness and people were being, because of what he came up with, people's lives were being changed. They're being healed. And when they would leave, this missionary said, they did not say thank you to me because there was no word in their culture for thank you. But here's what they said. I will tell of your name. I will tell of your name. You want to give God thanks this year? Let's tell of his name. Will you do that? Pray with me.